Why are there divisions in the church? And what should our position be toward Christians who are not of our church background? Pastor Greg Scalzo is beginning to address these questions in this edition of Shi'ar Jashub. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be concluding this sermon in the New Testament section of my husband's series on heavenly authority. Pastor Greg has been teaching from Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 41, where John tells Jesus that someone, not a follower of them, was casting out demons in Jesus' name. The Lord answered, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Here now is Pastor Greg. I was amazed when I first became a Christian at the jealous attitude that exists in some of the Bible-believing churches toward each other. The attitude of, if we're here in this area, how dare those other Bible churches exist? How dare they? Jealousness, small-mindedness. Instead, we should be thankful that there are other believers in other churches. Amen? We're called to do what is right in our churches, in our ministries, and pray that others do the same and leave them to the Lord. There should not be this, this grinding attitude of competition, this attitude when you go into a Christian bookstore, which is the church right now, which is the hot church. shouldn't be there. It smacks of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 40 Jesus says, for he who is not against us is on our side. It's all too easy to get the focus on us, on our position, on our pride, and forget that he who is not against us is on our side. I remember some years back, um, at the time there were several, there was a number of small evangelical Bible churches along the shoreline, the immediate shoreline area. One of the larger ones, one of the more formal ones, uh, they had a nice church building, had experienced several changes in pastors. It was a born-again church. And they had experienced some changes in pastors for some very interesting reasons. And on two occasions, the new pastor that would come in would call other pastors to meet them. And I was called to a meeting and explained that now that this individual pastor arrived, there was really no reason for our church to exist. The first gentleman that came into this church was very fatherly. He did it in a very gentlemanly way, a very soft approach, but it was the same message. And he left for career reasons that church a half a year later, and he went on to another part of the country. But when he first came here, he had arrived. So what were we doing here? This second gentleman was very brazen, a number of people in that church, one person had been saved under our ministry, another person had fallen away and recommitted themselves, several people had benefited, they had believed in the gifts of the Spirit and they came to understand the gifts of the Spirit were for today, and his church was benefiting from all that. 
But he was brazen. He was adamant. I've arrived. I remember he had a map. He, he liked military games. And in his office, he had a military map of the church as he played these military strategy games. That might, maybe that should have been an indication of his zeal. He had arrived. He had a strategy for his church in the area. So even after a decade plus of us being in ministry here, we were just supposed to shut down. He never really sincerely considered if the Lord had a calling on the church. He never prayed about it. He didn't care. He was the center. His church was the center. Everyone else was an obstacle. And not just us, any other small Bible church in the area. And he was telling us, I'm here now, so you don't need to be here. A few months later, he was caught in a scandal, a terrible scandal, and he left the church in shame. This is the silliness that goes on in some of the churches. You know, if you look at how many, you take all the born-again churches in this area and you add up all the people in them, the Bible churches, it's a small number of people compared to the general population of New England. You could fill up all those churches and still need plenty more buildings if there was a tremendous revival in this area, as there should be. But all this nonsense of one church against another, I would never question the legitimacy of any church, even if it had that checkered history of the revolving door, because you pray that every single church stands on the confirmation that they believe in Jesus Christ and does the work of the Lord. The more that are on our side, the less against us. If they're with us, they're not against us. Why would you forbid that man to do a work in the Holy Spirit of casting out demons and setting people free? Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Notice in verse 39 that Jesus confirms the miracle was done. Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. The miracle testifies the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will not do that miracle if the one who is the instrument will soon afterwards speak evil of Jesus. He will only testify to those who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a, an aside in here, another important piece of information. Sometimes you've seen ministries, sometimes we've seen ministers who do not live up to the standard of Scripture. Some who get themselves in all types of troubles. Yet, you can't deny that God has worked through their ministry. You felt the Holy Spirit, perhaps, on certain things they've said. You've seen miracles happen, wonderful miracles happen in their service because they're testifying to Jesus, even though they themselves might not be benefiting from their own words or their own ministry. At this point in time, they're testifying to Jesus Christ. They can't soon afterwards speak evil of him. And so even though they're frail and they're imperfect, God will still use them for the sake of the people they're ministering to. If they were to start to go too far, they will no longer have that anointing, that power upon them, just like Samson. If they get to the point of no return where they begin to speak evil of Jesus, they will not be anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will leave them, and that's happened in some cases. But right now, even in their imperfection, 
They are still anointed because they testify and speak well of the Lord. And the Lord can use them because, unfortunately, the laborers are few. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone, a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You think about the seriousness of this battle that we're in, this battleground. There's no room for petty sectarianism. And you think about the great responsibility and the punishment on those. We spoke about those who minister in so-called Christian churches but don't believe in Christ, don't preach the gospel of Jesus, and they lead children who would naturally believe in Jesus. They don't tell them about the Lord. They lead them astray. Woe to them. Look at the punishment. It would be better if they had a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. The three criteria here, he does it in the name of Jesus, this one. A miracle is done. There is anointing by the Holy Spirit. And notice the work of righteousness for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to the Christ. Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This universal brotherhood, this bond of the redeemed, is because they belong to Christ, they preach Christ, Christ anoints them, and they help each other. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name. Either you're in the trenches for the Lord or you're not. And even if this one doesn't report to you, the 12, praise God, this is one that's not against us, but one that is on our side. And we will need tens of thousands, millions of such. It's as the Lord is saying to them, but let me ask you, was the call of the 12 special and important? Was it something different? Yes, of course it was. From Pentecost on, they have a foundational ministry. In Revelation chapter 21, at the end of the Bible, in verse 14, we're told about the new Jerusalem. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They have a foundational ministry. They have an important ministry. But just because they have a special place in God's plan doesn't mean that God could not or would not work through others who also give glory to his son like this one who is casting out demons. Why? For you are all brethren. They had a very important role, the twelve. But that doesn't mean they have a role and everyone else is subservient to them. Everyone else is subservient to Jesus. For you are all brethren. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We're going to close in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, verses 1 to 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Lord willing, as we continue this discussion, we'll discuss what we mean by the one body of Christ. We'll see why sometimes there's a need for division, and hopefully we'll be able to discern true biblical unity in the body of Christ from false, the false unity that's often called ecumenicalism. And we'll make a distinction between being one in heart and being one in the mind of Christ, and there is a difference. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. Father, we pray that we would receive a full understanding of how the New Testament church is to run, how it is to operate. Open our eyes, Lord, and teach us through your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Our church website, again, is www.shiarjashub.com. Org. That's S-H-E-A-R hyphen J-A-S-H-U-B dot O-R-G. You'll find information about our church, articles of faith, and directions to our 10 a.m. Sunday service in the upper room of the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. And please join us next time for another edition of Shi'ar Jashub.